We are so excited because it is uh, Mother's Day here at Propel Church. And if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Pastor Nick Newman. I want to say welcome on behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the team here. We are honored that you would choose to spend Mother's Day with us. For some of you, this is your first time with us. And so we want to give you a big Propel Church welcome. So church, can you do me a favor? Can you help me honor all the moms in the room today? Come on. Come on. And hey, if it is your first time with us, we would love to exchange a little bit of information with you. We're not going to do that thing. Sometimes when you go to a church for the first time, you don't know what you're getting into. And so it looks like when you sit down, they're going to go, if you're a first-time guest, stand up and they make you feel weird. We're not going to do that. Um, all we want to do is exchange some information with you, and we'd love to give you a gift. So you can stop by the New Here Lounge after the worship experience, or if you're watching online, do us a favor and head over to propel.church hub. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to kind of unpack God's Word with you today on Mother's Day. Uh, As I was thinking through what I was going to teach on for Mother's Day, one thing like I realized is I'm not a mom. And so, you know, I was kind of like, man, God, what, what what do I teach on on Mother's Day? And I started thinking about the advice that my mom used to give me when I was a teenager. Now, here's what I know. When I was a teenager, I thought my mom's advice was horrible, right? Come on. If you've ever been a teenager, you know you, real, you, like, you think you know more than your parents. You don't, but you think you do. And so I was in that, but, but later on in life realized that, man, my mama gave some great advice. And then I started thinking about the mother of Jesus and what kind of advice she gave to people. And so if you have a Bible, go with me to John chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And this is going to kind of be the theme of our time together today. It says, <clears throat> On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus said to his, Jesus and his disciples, had also been invited to this wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, come on. That's a brave man. My hour has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I want to talk to you around the the topic of do whatever he tells you, because I believe that the most powerful miracles that you and I will ever experience in our life come simply from being obedient to do what Jesus has already said. What most scholars believe is that this is the first miracle recorded in Scripture. Jesus is about to tell the servants to bring him some jars filled with water, and he's going to turn water into wine. I personally think that the first miracle was that Jesus lived after responding to his mother with, woman, why do you involve me, right? Some of y'all know you grew up with a mama like, and if you were Jesus and that was your mama, you wouldn't have to worry about the cross because she was going to take you out right there. But this story is miraculous because when the people do what Jesus tells them to do, they experience more than they could ever imagine. And the same is true in all of our lives. When we are obedient to do what God is asking us to do, we will experience incredible things. So for the rest of the time, I'm going to give you five practical things we can do based on the words of Jesus. 
And I think the advice of Jesus' mother to you and I would to simply be to just do whatever he tells you to do. Oftentimes when we think about that, we can realize that some of the things that Jesus may tell us to do or ask us to do, while they're practical, are incredibly difficult. So here's the first one. Stop worrying about tomorrow. I told you it was going to be practical. I didn't tell you it was going to be easy. Worrying is something that, for a lot of us, has become so natural. We wake up a little bit worried or anxious about what is going on in our day-to-day, but we also get worried and stressed out about what the future holds. For some of us, we worry about the job that we're currently in. We worry about whether or not we're qualified enough to do that job. Maybe we worry about our financial security in the job we currently are, or if we maybe we're worried about the job we're going to have one day down the road. Maybe you're worried about whether or not you're going to make it into that college that you applied for. Maybe you're worried about your kids because right now they're acting dumb, and right you're like, (laughs) You're worried about all these. Maybe you're trying to buy your first home and you're worried you're going to have to pay a million dollars over asking price, right? Like, I don't know what you're worried about, but here's what I do know. Worry is so common for you and I. And what Jesus gives us some instruction in Matthew chapter 6, this is what he says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you add, can any of you by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And that last question jumps out at me because I realize for me and for you, none of us have been able to add any hours to our life by worrying, but I sure have lost quite a few. I've lost quite a few hours sitting and and worrying about what the future holds or worrying about what's next or trying to figure out if I'm going to make it. And what Jesus is saying to you and to me is that we can stop worrying because we can trust that he is a provider. Every time I worry, every time I go to bed and I'm freaking out, I wake up the next day and nine times out of ten, my problems are still there. The only thing I've done is wasted my time. And the thing about time is, time is one of the only things that can be taken from you that you can never get back. And so Jesus says, don't spend your time worrying because you and I are not promised hours, but how crafty of our enemy to get us so focused on a future that we can't control that we miss out on what God is doing right here in the moment. The invitation from Jesus to us to stop worrying is really an invitation to start trusting. When Jesus gives these examples of the birds, he's, he says that these birds, they're in God's creation and they don't have to worry about their next meal they, because at the end of the day, God is going to provide for it. And every time you have a worry in your life, I would simply encourage you to turn worry into an opportunity to run to God. Turn worry into an opportunity to begin trusting God with a future that you do not have answers to. To turn worry into trust. 
to simply say, God, I realize that I can't fix whatever's going on in my life. I can't change the situations that I find myself in. But today, I'm choosing to believe that you are still in control. And when you and I do that, I believe we begin to experience a little bit more peace in life. To do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Here's the second thing. Love those who aren't kind to you. Again, I told you this ain't going to be easy. If you are breathing today, chances are, which if you're not breathing, we have a team of people that would love to help you. (laughs) If you're breathing, the chances are really high that someone is going to do wrong to you at some point. And maybe you're at a place in your life where you're like, hey, no one has ever done me wrong. I got really bad news. It's coming, (laughs) right? You and I are going to have people who do wrong to us. We are going to have people who uh, create conflict or chaos in our lives. But what Jesus invites us into as followers of him is to love the people who do wrong to us. Now, this is not an easy task. In fact, I would say that apart from Jesus, it is impossible to do because I can't love unless I first receive love. That's what John teaches us. But look at what Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 29 says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Man, that's that's tough. Do good to those who hate you. Don't like that. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to them also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. When we read this passage of Scripture, at first, we're we're kind of left with this thought of, is Jesus asking us to be a doormat? Like, is he asking us to just let people walk all over us? And, and I would say, no, that's, that's not what he's asking. What he's asking us to do or really inviting us into is to be one of the greatest examples of his love and grace to the world in those moments. See, when someone slaps me on the cheek, I'm going to be honest. I might be holy, but I'm hood also. You know, so like <laughs> you, you catch hands in a heartbeat. I, I've got to do everything within me to not retaliate against people. When people do you wrong, the first natural inclination that you and I have is that we want to fight back at people. We want to, ch- like, like to chew them out or to scream at them or yell at them. What we really want to do is give them what we think they deserve. Yeah. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to do to others what he does for us, which is not give us what we deserve. It's to give us what we don't deserve. According to Scripture, every single one of us, because of sin, deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve condemnation. But because of the goodness of God, God would send Jesus to die in our place so that we don't have to get what we deserve. And so when you and I choose to love our enemies, what's happening is we are choosing to give back. We're choosing to give to people what they don't deserve. And when you do that, that's when you and I really begin to live like Jesus. That's what it looks like for us to live out the gospel and the good news of Jesus in our lives. Because when someone wrongs you, and they will, you have two choices. To live like the rest of the world and respond like the rest of the world, or 
to live like Jesus. And Jesus continues on in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, and he says, hey, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you really want to, to love other people, like it's going to require you to do something different. Even people who don't know Jesus love people who love them. I'm going to be honest, the easiest people in the world to love are the people who love you. It's the people who make you mad. Yeah. And I think the reason why a lot of people don't want to follow Jesus is because of people who currently claim to follow Jesus. It's because most people who call themselves Christians act, think, and live like the rest of the world. And what we see in Scripture is there's a standard that God has called his believers to live up to. And I get it. None of us are going to be perfect. There's going to be times where somebody cuts you off in traffic. You tell them they're number one. That just shouldn't be. (laughs) That just shouldn't be the natural heart posture that you have. And every time those things begin to happen, here's what it really is. It's a check engine light up with the Holy Spirit to say that there's something in you currently that's not like God, but God wants to deal with it if you'll let him. Loving people who aren't kind to us means that we are going to have to love people who live, think, vote, and act differently than we do. It means treating people with respect even when they're disrespectful. And it means honoring authority even when we don't agree with it. And even, as Jesus would say, blessing those who curse us. It's not easy. But when we do it, we experience the miraculous things of God in our life. Number three is this. Go out of your way to serve others. I know you're not like this at all, but at times in my life, I can be a little selfish. (laughs) And uh, I've realized that if I'm not careful, serving others becomes based on convenience, not calling. It it becomes more about uh, whether or not I feel like I have time or energy or have the bandwidth or capacity, and less about the fact that Scripture says that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. If you and I aren't careful, we will structure and build our lives in a way that, that... gives people the opportunity to just serve us, but we don't serve others. And that's not the heart of God. So Jesus gives this illustration in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. And he says, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him also have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Now, if we read this really quick, we'll go, that doesn't make any sense. But what Jesus was doing in this day is he was speaking to an audience that lived under Roman law, and they knew exactly what he was saying when he said, if someone compels you to go one mile, you go with them too. And what would happen is in the town, all the way from Jerusalem to Rome, there were these rocks, these stones that were mile markers. And so there would be a stone on mile one, and then there would be another stone on mile two, and then mile three and mile four, all the way down. And what Roman law said is that if a soldier came into town, a Roman soldier comes into town carrying a bag, by law, he will drop it at that mile marker, and you're required to carry it one mile. So by law, you would pick up his bag and you would carry it one mile. And when you got from mile one to mile two, you would drop the bag and you would go back on your way. Jesus says, if 
you really want to live like me, if you really want to serve like me, don't just stop at what's required. Go above and beyond. If you really want to serve like Jesus, it means that you can't just do the bare minimum and think that that's what God has called you to do. God has not called you to mediocrity. He's not called you to live for a paycheck. He has called you to go above and beyond in your workplace because as you work, as you live, and as you lead, your good deeds show and reveal God to other people. And we have a God who went way above and beyond for us, who gave us more than we deserve. And so as we look at this principle, what Jesus is saying is, hey, it's in the first mile that people experience law, but it's in the second mile that they experience love. I think the world would look a whole lot different if people in the church quit settling for bare minimum. If we quit doing just what was required and we went above and beyond to serve other people, even when it wasn't convenient for us. Here's what I know. There's times in my life where when I, when I pick up somebody else's bag, the only thing I want to do is go mile one. But if, if that's the case, then there's no difference in me than the rest of the world. God's called us to live differently. So go above and beyond in your workplace. Do whatever it takes to serve people. And here's the thing. When you become a second-mile servant, there are going to be times where it's completely inconvenient. But I think that if you really want to make it to mile two, you have to decide before you ever start mile one. Because if I don't choose to go above and beyond before I start, my excuses are going to outpace my desires. You ever been there? I want to lose weight. Don't like a gym. (laughs) My excuses outpace my desire. But when I choose before I ever start to serve people, then I'm going to go above and beyond. And my serving them is not based on what they do or how they respond. That's when you begin to experience the life that Jesus has for you and the life that Jesus has for me. The worst thing we can do for our serving is to let it become about how we feel. Because there are plenty of times where we don't feel like doing something. You ever been there where you wake up and you're like, I don't feel like doing nothing today. You know what you still got to do? Something. That's (laughs) That's how it works. We're just not afforded the luxury of getting to live based on our feelings. But oftentimes in the area of serving, that's what we do. We'll serve people when we feel like it. We'll serve people if they're kind or nice enough. No. Jesus says, don't just settle for the bare minimum. Go above and beyond. Do whatever it takes to make sure that people can see my goodness through the way that you conduct and live your life. Choose to honor God from the start. And as you and I do that, we begin to experience miraculous things. Here's number four. See, normally, y'all, y'all, you only get three points normally. So for y'all note takers today, you are blessed. Uh, be generous with what you've been given. Be generous with what you've been given. Uh, turn to somebody and say, you got stuff. Ooh, y'all did not do good at that. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to give you a second try. Turn to the other person you neglected and say, God gave it to you. Come on, you did better. Round two was always better than round one. Every single one of us have been given stuff. We've been entrusted with things. And they are passions, they're resources, they are skills, money, assets, connections. You have been entrusted with things by God. But here's the other part of it. 
every single one of us have been entrusted with different things. For some of you, you've been entrusted with a lot of money. Others of you wish you were entrusted with a lot of money, right? Like, for, for some of you, you have resources and connections like nobody's business. Others of you, you are trying to find enough, a new friend. There are some of us who have been blessed with things and others of us that haven't. Regardless, what Scripture says is that every single one of us have been entrusted with and have been given things for the purpose of glorifying and honoring God with those things. Colossians says that everything was made for Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, to give glory back to Jesus. So the goal is that with our stuff, whether it's passions, skills, money, assets, resources, connections, all of those things, the goal is that those are used to glorify God. But the problem is, most of the time, we don't enjoy the things that we've been given because we are so focused on what everybody else has been given. We're so focused on how their gifts outpace our gifts and how their stuff is better than our stuff. And we could do so much more if we just had the house that they had or if we had the opportunities or the connections. And I think one of the things that keeps you and I sometimes from being generous is a lack of understanding of what we've been entrusted with and a view of how God looks at his economy when it comes to money, resources, and possessions. And so Jesus tells this story in Mark chapter 12 to give you and I a glimpse into what it looks like. He says, so Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, you've probably been to some churches where you were uncomfortable during offering time. You ain't never been this uncomfortable. Jesus is staring at the plate as you put stuff in it. That's, that's a little uncomfortable. It says, Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of her wealth, of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he's saying that this woman who gave only a few cents gave more than the people who were throwing in thousands of dollars. He's got a guy named Matthew who's a tax collector as one of the disciples. And Matthew's like, Jesus, that's not how money works. But what Jesus is trying to say is, hey, that's how my kingdom works. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not about how much you give. It's the heart posture of why you gave in the first place. Because God doesn't need your money. That's what we tell you when we talk about giving and we talk about the church. The church doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. And what he's showing the disciples is in this moment, he didn't have the heart of some people who just gave out of their wealth, who gave out of their abundance, but he did have the heart of a woman who gave sacrificially. And every time you and I choose to be generous, it will require a sacrifice from us in some area. If you want to be generous with your time, there's going to be some things that you have to say no to in order to be able to say yes to some other things. 
Because what some of us don't realize is that every yes is actually a no. When I say yes to something, I've said no to several other things. But if we want to really be generous with our time, there's going to be some things that we have to say no to. Others of us, we need to begin to be generous with our talents. And as we're generous with the talents, the gifts that God has given us, it's going to require us to give up some things, to let go of some things. As every time you and I choose to give, there will be a sacrifice in some other areas. But the good news is as we give sacrificially, God begins to bless miraculously. And for some of us, it's not just time or talent, it's treasure. We get uncomfortable when people talk about money sometimes. But I already told you, church don't need your money. God wants your heart. And what some of us need to transition into in the area of generosity is we need to quit tipping and start tithing. We need to, and some of y'all don't know what tipping is. Here's what tipping is. See, you, you don't know you do this, but some of y'all, you're going to learn today. <laughs> tipping's when if the pastor preaches a good message, you drop an extra 20 into play on the way out. That's tipping. God doesn't need that. He wants a generous heart. He wants control of your finances because he can do way more with your 90 than you could ever do with 100. So that's what trusting God looks like. It's not that, man, if, if you're giving and it don't hurt a little bit, I don't think you're doing it right. It, it, it's sacrificial. Man, we sacrifice for a God who gave so much for us. And then here's the fifth thing to accept Jesus as the only way to salvation. We live in a world right now, and, and it's just going to get worse. I, I, like I just hate. There's not great news in that. If you're waiting for a new political leader or you're waiting for, for something in the political realm to change for the world to get better, that's not what Scripture tells us at all. Scripture says that this world's going to get worse. Because you and I, if we've placed our hope and trust in Jesus, we're never designed for this to be our home. So I'm not telling you not to make this place great, but if this is your final resting stop, there's not a lot of hope in that. Jesus is really clear, though. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, which you can circle that, highlight that, underline that, can come to the Father except through me. Nobody. What Jesus is really saying is he is the only way for you and I to be saved. There are people who may teach you that being a good person is enough to save you, but according to the standard of God, good is never good enough. You need Jesus because Jesus was perfect. We ain't perfect. I can't speak for you, but I could probably guess pretty close. You ain't perfect. I know I'm not. That's why Jesus had to come and die in our place. There's other people who teach you that if you work hard enough or you come to church enough or you read your Bible enough or you give enough, then you'll be saved. That's not what Jesus says at all. Jesus says the only way to salvation is through him. That the only way that we are saved is not through works or efforts or deeds, but by simply placing our trust in the fact that when he died on the cross in our place and declared it was finished, that all of our sins were paid for. For some of us today, the best <laughs> decision that we could do 
like that we could make is to quit believing that other things can save us and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. To say on, on Mother's Day of 2021, I made the decision to take the advice of Jesus, to do whatever he says. And what he says is that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll believe in your heart that he died and rose again and accept him as your Lord and Savior, then you'll be saved. And if you need to make that decision today, I want to create the space for that and give you the opportunity. So with every head bowed, every eye closed across the room today, I believe there's some of you who you've been banking on works, efforts, deeds to be able to save you. But it's only through Jesus that we're saved. And so if that's you and you want to begin that relationship with Jesus today to acknowledge him, accept him as your Lord and Savior, would you do me a favor for just a moment? Would you boldly lift your hand in the air and say, hey, that's me. Come on. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. Will you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.